We're in Acts 15. Acts 15, commonly referred to as the Jerusalem Council. And we will today seek to look at verses 1 through 12. Acts 15, verses 1 through 35. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless saying, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go to Jerusalem, go up to Jerusalem, to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. All the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simon, that is Peter, Simon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After these things I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled, and from blood. For Moses, from ancient generations, has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. 
Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they sent this letter by them, the apostles and the brethren who were elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who were from the Gentiles' greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words unsettling your souls, it seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. After they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others, also the word of the Lord. Are you familiar with Acts 15? I'm sure that you have read it if you've been reading the Bible for any length of time. Acts 15 comes on the heels of Acts 14, and we've been looking at the first missionary journey where Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the Spirit, by the church at Antioch, through the regions of southern Galatia, and what was the keynote effect of their teaching and preaching? And all those places in Acts 14 in particular, what was the highlight of what happened? The Gentiles were saved. Yes, this was a transition into the new covenant and God was transitioning the the covenant to include all, but obviously the Gentiles in particular were being brought in and it had no small problem. And one of the key verses in our text that I'd like to focus on as we start out is where Peter said that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. This truth was under assault in the first century, saying that you you could be saved by grace and you had to be circumcised, which is what these Judaizers were saying. But it continues to come up. And maybe you've heard in the news that in parts of our country, the cicadas, two broods are going to crawl out of the earth 
Have you heard about this? It's not maybe in eastern Washington, but in the east coast, in the Midwest, the cicadas, which some call locusts, they have these broods that they live underground, and there's two broods that are going to hatch, and they're uh, uh, one that took 13 years to come out of the ground and one 17 years. And they're going to come out by the billions. And and if you've been in an area where they have cicadas, they're, 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 they have their... Uh, I'll call a screech or their sound is very loud. It can be deafening. It's extremely loud, especially if there are billions of them. And why do I mention those cicadas? Because like cicadas, errors can reel their heads. Sometimes it's more regular, but sometimes it's every decade or so. And when it comes, it's big. So when you when you think of those cicadas that have been underground for 13 or 17 years, if you travel to areas where they have them, uh, you'll be amazed at how loud they are, and then you'll see their exoskeletons hanging on the trees, uh, which are sort of cool, if you like that stuff. But air is the same way. It'll emerge now and again, and immediately here in the the first century, even among the apostles, a major error was coming up, and it's because there was a transition in the in the covenants to the new covenant, and in these Jewish believers couldn't comprehend how and why all these Gentiles were being saved and shouldn't they be more like the Jews and therefore shouldn't they be circumcised? And if we put our, 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 our first century Jewish convert hats on, we, we might understand why they thought that because for millennia, two, 2,000 years, they knew that you had to be circumcised. And you had to keep the law of Moses. How could this be changing? It was shocking to them. So that's what we're looking at. Also, Galatians is Paul's pastoral epistle on this very topic. And remember, the churches that they went to were in southern Galatia. That's where they had been planting. And some of the areas are mentioned in our passage today. So Paul provides a a pastoral or apostolic um, epistle to the Galatian Christians about this very topic, and we'll hit some of those highlights uh, in a moment. But remember, Paul was saved around 32 AD, and the Jerusalem Council is around 48 to 50. So this has been, you know, quite a few years, 16 years since Paul was saved, a lot of water under the bridge, yet the transition from Israel to the church was difficult. And that's what we see in Acts 15. That's the the backdrop of of why this is happening. I've given the title of our study, Only One Way. And I think John Stott must have knew that I was going to say that because his commentary on Galatians has the same title, Only One Way. And that refers to what? Salvation. Faith. Yes, there's only one way to be saved. And Paul is adamant, and we'll hit some of those in Galatians, but also here, even with the Apostle Peter and James and their messages that, yes, there's one people of God. So then, uh, we left off in 1428, Paul and Barnabas were were preaching and teaching and fellowshipping uh, with the church at Antioch. So that's where this is... The troublemakers came to Antioch, verse 1 of chapter 15. Some men came down from Judea. They're going north. So when I think down, it seems to be reversed. 
but they are coming from Judea going north to Antioch and they began teaching the brethren unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses you cannot be saved. Imagine that you just believed in the Lord Jesus you heard Paul and Barnabas preaching repent and and run to Christ and be saved turn from dead idols to the living God and you'll be saved and they believed and now all of a sudden these 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 Jewish Christians who had believed in Jesus came along and said, no, you have to be circumcised too. And in a moment we'll hear, also you need to follow the teaching of Moses. Now these troublemakers came from Judea uh, around 350 miles. Have you ever walked 350 miles? (laughs) I don't think any of us. It's hard to walk 10 miles. I've done that and that's difficult. Uh, But they traveled 350 miles, whether on donkey or horse or carriage or by foot or a combination, 350 miles. Maybe it took one month for them to to move from Jerusalem all the way up to Antioch. So again, think of that distance and, and, and what they went through to bring their heirs. Were they coming on business? We don't know, but at least they were going there. And while they were there, they were going to teach this false doctrine. Now, circumcision. Circumcision was a sign... That was, that was commanded by who? By God. And, and who do we first hear God telling about circumcision to? Abraham. Yes, Genesis 17.10. God told Abraham to circumcise his son. So circumcision was a biblical requirement for, since Abraham and then into the Pentateuch, Moses required those those mothers, those babies, to have the, the, the baby boys circumcised. It was a biblical requirement. But these guys were teaching, even after Jesus had arrived, that you could not only believe in Jesus, but you had to believe in Jesus and be circumcised to be saved. And that's false, of course. And that was the big problem. One author, A.T. Robertson, calls these teachers, he says, they, they were the self-appointed regulators of Christian orthodoxy from Jerusalem. Were they sent by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem? No. And actually we read, it says, they didn't come from us. They had no authority to do this. They were self-appointed regulators. Often you'll find that heretics are self-appointed. False teachers are self-appointed. They are not sent often and usually by a church. They're self-sent. And the internet has made this extremely easy. Any Tom, Dick, or Harry can stand up and say, I'm pastor so-and-so and this is my church and my house and I have a ministry and this is my program and here we go. And you can introduce anything Well, these people actually came from a good church, but they had some bad doctrine. And they were pushing these Gentiles to be circumcised and observe the law of Moses. Did Jesus ever tell people, repent, believe, and then be circumcised? No. Jesus nor the apostles did not preach that message. This was false doctrine or heresy. But it came dressed in Scripture. Was circumcision commanded to Abraham and the Israelites in the Old Testament? Yes. Was it commanded upon the new converts of Jesus and the apostles to get into the kingdom? No. 
But they said it flat out. Unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. That's a profound uh, proposition that they had. Paul would later write, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of a the gift of God, not as a result of what? Works, so that no one may boast. And it seems to a degree they were boasting in their circumcision and even um, and even worse, but trying to bind others to be circumcised. Paul would tell the Galatians. Uh, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. It was that serious. And frankly, Paul's words are much stronger than uh, the apostles' reaction in Jerusalem in Acts 15. But we can think about that as we go we go along. Now, has have there been other doctrines that people have said, unless you do this, you can't be saved? Can you think of any? You gotta speak in tongues, yeah, or you can't be saved. What else? Yes, there's, there's a whole group of heretics that say, unless you're baptized, you can't get to heaven. Anything else? Slain in the spirit? You name it. Many things have been, uh, stated, whether explicitly or implicitly. Unless you do this, you can't get to heaven. And many, um, legalists or even fundamentalists could say, don't do this or you won't go to heaven. If you wear this or look like this or do this or don't do this, you can't get to heaven. But we know that salvation is by grace. Yes, the disciples of God must follow forth with obedience, not to be saved, but because they have been saved. Solid churches, and we need to take heed and contend for the truth especially the central truths of the Bible, the truths of justification by grace alone through faith alone. Jude put it this way, contend earnestly for the faith which was once handed down to the saints. So we're going to hear how Paul and Barnabas do that in verse 2 of Acts 15. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren that is, at Antioch, determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue or concerning this question. The Holman Bible, which I really enjoy, uh, translates the beginning of this verse. They had engaged them in serious argument and debate. Is that Christian? Well, let's break out these words a bit. When it says great dissension, actually it's literally not a little. It's saying not a little bit of dissension. And and I think John's mentioned this, the the grammatical term is a litotes. It's this deliberate understatement. It wasn't a little bit of dissension, it was great dissension. Paul and Barnabas had great dissension with these false teachers. And dissension is a sharp dispute. It's even translated riot, revolt, or rebellion. So it's a very strong word that Paul and Barnabas, they were not going to allow this. They were going to, they were going to go to the mat over this false teaching that you had to be circumcised to be saved. And then the second word, dissension and 
debate, which is a controversial discussion. It's an argument. And verse 7 will use the phrase, much debate. Somehow I skipped lesson two. Working off a laptop is not easy. Lesson one, excuse me. Lesson one was, if you're writing it down, don't be naive, false doctrine can travel a long way to assault the church. Don't be naive, false doctrine can travel a long way to assault the church. We could say a long time, like those cicadas. So we shouldn't be naive, it could attack us here, and it has over the years. Lesson two, based on verse two, there is a time to strongly refute error and argue for the truth. There is a time to strongly refute error and argue for the truth. Yes, we should have love. Yes, we should have self-control. Yes, we are not going to be violent. But there is a time, as Paul and Barnabas did, and they said this doctrine is serious enough that they're going to have this great dissension and great debate with these false teachers about this topic, you're telling the Gentile believers that they must be circumcised to be saved. And they would not have it. They refuted them. They argued with them. And also, the others that were with them, um, maybe they were taking up the argument as well, but it, it did say that Paul and Barnabas and some others would go up to Jerusalem and some of those others, by the way, could be Titus, who's mentioned in Galatians 2.1. Titus uh, also was most likely involved, and we're going to see him in the next chapter as well. They would go up to Jerusalem to talk about this controversial question, this point of disparagement. Verse 3, the trip to Jerusalem. Therefore, being sent their way by the church, they were passing through Phoenicia and Samaria describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. So if you have your map in the back of your Bible, you can see where we always notice that Antioch is in the northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea and they're traveling south from Antioch through the regions of Phoenicia and Samaria on their way down to Jerusalem. They were redeeming the time and they were repeating this message. Many Gentiles have been saved. And look at the... um, and, And actually it says the description of this salvation is the conversion of the Gentiles. They were converted. They turned to God from dead idols to the living God and these people that heard it rejoiced. They rejoiced that the door had been opened to the Gentiles to come in to the people of God. They created great joy among all the brothers. And we too, like Luke 15.10, if one sinner repents, we should rejoice. We should be encouraged. We should celebrate. And when all these people that they were visiting, maybe churches that had been established, or at least the brethren they met, on their 350-mile trip, when they heard about the Gentiles being saved, they rejoiced, unlike the Judaizers who said they need to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses. Verse 4, when they arrived at Jerusalem, Paul, Barnabas, and the others, 
they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. They were warmly received by the church at Jerusalem, and the first order of business was to report all that God had done. Lesson three, let us view gospel work as what God has done. There is a God-centeredness, of course, throughout the Bible, throughout the book of Acts. It's all about what God, what Christ has done or will do, and we must have a God-centeredness as we think about the gospel work. What has God done at Pilgrim Bible Church? What can God do at Pilgrim Bible Church? So this was the focus of Paul and Barnabas to tell the church at Jerusalem what God had done with them, particularly to reach the Gentiles who would have faith and believe. It's not about men or movements. It's about God and his grace. And if you move away and have to find another church, if the church is more concerned about men and movements than about God and Christ, there's something wrong. And it can happen even in the best of churches. Verse 5. So they got to Jerusalem. They're talking to the people. There's, It's maybe a a public meeting. Verse 5 says, But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The very first word in the Greek text, and I think it has emphasis, is they stood up. They were, they were, they were hearing this report of how the Gentiles were saved and these, uh, converted Pharisees stood up. They had to take quick action to speak their peace. This sect could be a different group than the ones that had went up to Antioch in verse 1, but they held the same view that Gentile believers had to be what? circumcised, and to observe the law of Moses. It's interesting how these people are described. Some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, was a radical Pharisee and he had believed. It seems that some other Pharisees had also believed. It's actually in the perfect tense emphasizing that these were True believers, yet carried away in error. Serious error. Lesson four, be warned that even true believers may be carried away by error. Even true believers may be carried away by error. We could unknowingly or willingly embrace error. Acts reveals that And these were Pharisees who had believed. Yet they had this false doctrine. And they said two things. One, we believe that the Gentiles have to be circumcised and that they have to keep the law of Moses. And you could ask, well, what does that mean? We don't believe that we pull out the whole Pentateuch from our Bible and throw it away. But at least all that was for the theocracy of the old covenant people of God was not binding on the Gentile believers. And that's a whole other study and discussion. Yes, sir. Me?
mean, it's not recorded here that I can think of that that would have ever happened, but logically, to continue down that path, they may have said that, and uh, we're going to see momentarily that they wanted them to do some other things, maybe not as extreme as offer sacrifices, uh, but that could have been, and, and I can't think of any examples where that was suggested, but well, if you're going to circumcise, why not offer sacrifices? Why not do this, this, this? And the list is endless. And when they say, observe the law of Moses, well, it could mean many things and open the door for heresies and false teaching for these new covenant believers. Turn over to Galatians 2, thinking about this warning that even true believers may be carried away by error Galatians 2, and I read Galatians again this morning, and it is really a commentary and and this epistle of warning to the Galatian churches. Galatians 2, verses 11 through 14. Did Did this happen before Acts 15 or in the middle of it? It's really hard to tell, but it gives a different angle. But it's the same issues, but even worse. Galatians 2, verse 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, that's Peter, at some point he went to Antioch, Paul writes, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, some people had come from James and were affecting the Antioch church, It says, Peter, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw himself, hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews, that I I would take that, the rest of the, the Jewish believers, the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, again, that's Peter, in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Again, be warned, even true believers may be carried away by error, even apostles. Even his best friend Barnabas, some some uh, author said about the phrase, even Barnabas, the saddest words in the New Testament. His, his beloved fellow worker, even Barnabas, was carried away by his error. Even Peter stood condemned. Even some came down from James. So at, at some point, in some way, the Judaizers had infiltrated even the elders at the church at Jerusalem. So that's why we're called as elders and the people of God, to take heed to ourselves and check our doctrine to make sure it's aligned with Scripture. Some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed, they were believers who had imbibed a certain error, and that error was Christ plus circumcision. It's sobering, and it should keep us humble should keep us to be Bereans, to search the Scripture, and make sure that our doctrine and practice align with the Word of God. Verse 6. Again, we're at the 
council at Jerusalem, verse 6, the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter, the matter of circumcision for Gentile believers. Again, how does this relate to Galatians 2? There's a lot of debate about it. But at least it's the same topics. Verse 6, the apostles and elders, and that would be James, James, Peter, and John, they gathered to research the matter with the other elders there to look into it, to consider it, to weigh it out and think, well, okay, Jews had to be circumcised and follow the, the law of Moses, but what about Gentile believers? What do we do? They had to consider it. They had to think about it because there was a, a major misunderstanding here. If the, if, they're, if the Judaizers are right, then we have to tell all these Gentile believers to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses. They had to consider it and think about it and study the matter carefully. Well, then Peter enters the discussion. And one author calls his judgment a theological solution. And I like how often God is mentioned in Acts 15 and, of course, throughout the Bible, but particularly in Acts 15 and in the missionary endeavors, it's, it's, it's a, there is a God-centeredness. Listen to verse 7 again. After there had been much debate with within the council at Jerusalem, with the apostles and the elders and the believing Pharisees, there was much debate. Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. In this gathering, there was much debate over the controversial discussion. Back to verse 2. Yet, Peter says, that God made a choice. God made a choice. It's the same word that we looked at back in Acts 13 where God chose Israel. And here, it's a little bit different, but it's the same word revealing God's sovereign plan that God made a choice among you that. And I think the that helps us to understand what he's talking about. God made a choice to use Peter that by his mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe there was a precedent. God had chosen Israel, and now he opened it up to Gentiles, even primarily that those were the ones flocking into the kingdom, but along with believing Jews. The Jews were not excluded. And even in the Old Covenant, Gentiles were not completely excluded. They could be saved. But now in the New Covenant era, the majority of people being saved were Gentiles. And they heard the word of the gospel and believed. Now you can look back seven years earlier, a few chapters before. Remember, Peter had to be taught by God what was clean and what was unclean. He had that vision and he, he struggled with it as a good Jew. I've never eaten anything unclean. And God had an object lesson for him. And Peter summarizes it. In Acts 10.28, in this way, God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. God was showing him that the Gentiles could be saved. They were no longer the ones outside of, of the covenant. They could be saved and not have to become Jewish proselytes and be circumcised. 
And actually, when Peter told uh, the story back in Acts 10, he was attacked by the same type of people, and, and they said to him, how could you go eat with uncircumcised men? How could you do that, Peter? How could you go eat with Cornelius and his people? The same mindset, but they were wrong. But I think, again, stepping back, it was hard for them to comprehend. Yes, they had believed in Jesus, but these people were pagans. How could you go eat with them? That, that, was, just, that was just not right. So they were wrong, but I think we can step back and realize you don't undo 2,000 years of history in even a couple years. It took time for them to understand. It doesn't mean their wrong was okay, their false doctrine, but, but we can understand a bit why they thought the way they did. But again, seven years earlier, Peter had been rebuked by the same, uh, the same type of mindset. How could you eat with these people? How could you do that, Peter? But he says... Uh, here, he's telling them that the Gentiles believed because God had a plan to use me to bring the gospel to them. Actually, the word of the gospel, the word of the message that Christ died for sinners, repent and believe and you will be saved. That's the word of the gospel. And, and it was believed. Lesson five, we could apply this and, and think a bit like Peter here pray that the word of the gospel would be spread and believed. We have to pray. We have to keep praying, Lord, spread your word around the world and may people believe it by your grace. Acts is a history of missions and it reminds us that we too, we should spread the gospel and we pray that it would be spread by many others and be believed. Often in our prayer meeting, we've prayed uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.1 that the word of the Lord will run and be glorified, that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified. It's a beautiful description that God's word's just running everywhere and, and God is being glorified. And we say primarily, Lord, glorify yourself in the salvation of sinners. Well, Peter continues his theme in verse 8, trying to reason with the Judaizers here. And it's challenging to... To did he, had he said what he did in in Galatians two and then repented of it? I'm not sure, but at least in verse eight he says, "And God," he wrote and and spoke, "And God, who knows the heart, testified to them that is the Gentiles, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He also did to us." So he's making an argument to the to the Jerusalem church to the Judaizers, that God saved the Gentiles and he gave them the Holy Spirit. And verse 9, and he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Concerning the genuineness of Gentile conversions, three things. One, God knows the heart. God knows the heart. He's all-knowing. And secondly, God testified to them which is a beautiful um, blessing, and it's 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 uh, the grammar is it's a it's a dative of advantage. It was a blessing. God testified to them and blessed them by giving them the Holy Spirit, as He did for the believing Jews. That was the whole point. Peter had testified previously that Cornelius and his people that they received the Spirit of God. 
And it was obvious. So God knows the heart. God testified by giving the Spirit. And third, God made no distinction between Jews and Gentiles. He cleansed both of their hearts by what? Faith. And this sounds very much like Paul's words in Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed or descendants, heirs according to promise. So whether you're a Jewish believer or a Gentile believer, you have the Holy Spirit and you are the people of God. And Paul even adds in Galatians 3, you're not only the people of God, but you're the descendants of Abraham. We are descendants of Abraham by the grace of God. We're the spiritual children of Abraham. But the Judaizers couldn't get it. They couldn't understand that how could a Gentile be a child of Abraham? It was by faith, by grace. One author said, the distinction between ritually ritually pure Jews and morally impure Gentiles had been abolished. That's a good statement. The distinction between ritually Pure Jews, by ritual, they had been purified by washings, by sacrifice, by avoiding the Gentile contact, by all the things that the Jews thought they were doing to be pure, yet the morally impure Gentiles were saved by God. That that whole dividing line was abolished. There's neither Jew nor Greek in Christ. Their world was rocked. They were so shocked they couldn't understand and they struggled with this for years. Probably even a decade. If seven years prior, they told Peter the same thing. Why are you hanging out with these Gentiles? The church struggled with this from the beginning. Again, noting the words cleansing their hearts by faith. Who cleansed their hearts? God. God cleansed their hearts by faith. Lesson six From first to last, God is the one who saves. From first to last, God is the one who saves. Jonah 2.9, when he was going down in the belly of the fish, he cried out, salvation is of the Lord. Acts 4.12 said, and there is salvation in no one else but Jesus. From first to last, God is the one who saves. It is his salvation. He cleanses hearts by faith whether Jew or Gentile. It is by grace, through faith, not by circumcision, not by any other law-keeping or works of the law. Verse 10. Peter asks them a question. Penetrating question. A rebuking question. Now, therefore, because of all that I said, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. What a rebuke. You're putting God to test. They were not merely attacking the Gentiles. They were attacking God. It was that serious. And remember, it says these people had believed. The Pharisees, the Judaizers, some of them had believed they were true Christians, but they were still putting God to the test. Jesus rebuked the devil, quoting Deuteronomy 6.16 with those words, you shall not put the Lord your God 
to the test. That's demonic. That's what Satan did. And yet these people were putting God to the test. They were placing this unbearable yoke. You know, a yoke is the oxen. There's two oxen and there's a yoke over their head. Or I've seen it where there's one. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's the same word, but the, the, the big uh, log or beam controlling them so you can guide the oxen. This yoke was placed on their neck, the neck of the disciples, that you have to live like a Jew. And yet, Peter says, even we couldn't do, we couldn't bear that. Even we Jews couldn't live up to it. The law had showed us we couldn't be saved. We needed sacrifices because we broke it over and over and over again. And you're going to put that on these new, the necks of these new believers? Paul again in Galatians 5 says something similar. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and, and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. So it's back to that same argument of trying to put on the necks of the new believers this law-keeping to be saved, particularly circumcision. Lesson seven, and what we, how we might apply this is beware of anyone who seeks to lay a burden on you or on your neck that God hasn't laid. Beware of anyone who seeks to lay a burden on you that God hasn't laid. And we've seen this here. Even some people in our church in past years wanted to lay burdens on the necks of people that God hadn't laid. And that's wicked. That's putting God to the test. And even true Christians can lay burdens like circumcision on the necks of new Christians and utterly discourage them and, and pull them down and weaken them if, if they're, what they're saying is listened to. Beware of it. Watch out for it. Be on guard for it. In our church or wherever you could be in years ahead, Beware of anyone that tries to put a burden on your neck that God hasn't laid. It's not uncommon. It's not uncommon. I grew up in a fundamentalist, Bob Jones-style school. They had so many rules that would drive you crazy. You couldn't walk down the street if there was a movie theater on that side. You had to cross the street because someone may think you were going in. You might wear a shirt that looked like something Elvis Presley might wear and they send you home. Not because it necessarily broke the school dress code, but because you were appearing worldly. And they really promoted a work salvation. If you just have your hair above your ears, you dress in the right way, you do the right thing, it could be true things and good things. And circumcision had been true. It was a biblical thing, but it had been suspended. It had ended, and they were trying to put that yoke on the, the believers. And that's why I think that the majority of the Messianic movement is really in error, trying to compel Gentiles to live like Jews. And maybe you've known some of those folks that are fascinated with Jewishness. We're only to be fascinated with Christ. To lay on the necks of a new believer any rules that are not in the Scripture is testing God. Beware. 
legalism, work salvation. You must be baptized to get to heaven. You must do this to get to heaven. Even good things. Baptism is a good thing. It's a command. But you cannot make it a requirement for salvation. And to be very specific, what we had here at our church a decade ago was, well, if you don't homeschool, you're in big trouble. When someone comes to visit our church, the first question that they were asked, do you homeschool? Do you know Christ? Even in a good church, errors creep in. Serious. And some people came to our church and said, you can't work for the government. That's wrong. Where's that in the scripture? Error creeps in. Beware. Just like in the New Testament. And even we see in Galatians 2 that some of the apostles were carried away with the error. That's why we need to be Bereans and check the scripture. Is it required by the Bible or not? It's still happening today. Maybe people are not calling us to be circumcised and to follow the law of Moses. Some are pulling out things from the Pentateuch and saying, do this, do this, and do this for a higher level of spirituality. Maybe they don't say to be saved, but there's plenty of cults that say join us or you can't be saved at all. Beware. Verse 11, and we're wrapping it up. Yes, you can't turn the page if it doesn't work. Verse 11. The great verse of this section, if you don't get anything out of the Jerusalem Council, I think this is the highlight. Verse 11, Peter proclaims, but, or rather, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. We believe, we confess we tell you that Jews and Gentiles are saved in only one way. It's not by circumcision. It is only by the grace of the Lord Jesus. Lesson 8. Every believer is saved in the same way. By grace alone, through Christ alone. These solas are really important. We'll go to the mat as the apostles did Every believer is saved in the same way, by grace alone, through Christ alone. We are saved through the grace of, or that is found in, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved by looking to Him and getting His righteousness, and He gets our sin. It's His grace. It wasn't earned. It's the grace found in Christ. That's how we're saved. And other verses here tell us it's through faith but it's through grace alone, through Christ alone. Listen to this by another author. The author of salvation is God. The source of salvation is Jesus. And the means of salvation is free grace. And I'll add, and the instrument to receive salvation is faith. It's all about God's grace. And again, those solas are critical. Every believer is saved in the same way, by grace alone, through Christ alone. It's that clear. It's very straightforward in the Bible. The message is plain. Verse 12, the response at Jerusalem, at the church at Jerusalem. All the people kept silent. 
I think it was irrefutable. They kept silent. There was no, there was no response. There was no argument. All the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. The false teachers were silenced and they had nothing to say. Paul and Barnabas then, we heard from Peter, now we're going to hear from Paul and Barnabas about what God did with the Gentiles, how he did all these signs and wonders among them, how he healed the blind Bar-Jesus of Paphos and the wonders that were done at Iconium, the healing of the lame man at Lystra and other wonders and signs. And the biggest wonder is that all these Gentiles were being saved. That God had done. Again, the God-centeredness. The wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. God had authenticated and validated His work among the Gentiles through these acts, these wonderful acts, and ultimately, and specifically, by saving the Gentiles. In review... Don't be naive. False doctrine can travel a long way to assault the church. Think of those cicadas coming out every 13 and 17 years. All the errors, we did a study years ago, ancient heresies. And why? Because they're going to be reborn at any moment. Ancient heresies are not really ancient. Uh, They come back again and again. Lesson two, there is a time to strongly refute error and argue for the truth. There is a time. Not every error needs refuted. As Spurgeon said, God is his own defender of the faith. And so we need wisdom when we should argue and refute error. But there is a time to strongly refute error and argue for the truth. Three, let us view gospel work as what God has done. Let us have a thorough God-centeredness about salvation, about missions, about the church. It's what God has done, is doing, and will do. Fourth, Be warned, even true believers may be carried away by error. Lord, search me and know my heart and see if there be any error in me and get it out. And we get it out by the filter of Scripture. That's why we need to be reading the Bible so we know the truth. We study the original so we can spot counterfeits. Fifth, pray that the word of the gospel would spread and be believed. And spread it yourself. And tell others the gospel message, the good news, and pray that people would believe it. Sixth, from first to last, God is the one who saves. Seventh, beware of anyone who seeks to lay a burden on you that God hasn't laid. There's a lot of people that will put burdens on your necks that God has not put there. And finally, every believer is saved in the same way, by grace alone, through Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the word of the gospel that you got into our ears. You gave us ears to hear, Lord, and may we be faithful to spread it in many ways and to pray for it to be spread by the preachers of the gospel. May your word run and be glorified even today in America as churches gather, as broadcasts go forth, as recordings go forth, as we tell others about Christ. As your Bible is opened and proclaimed, may people believe and be saved that Christ would be glorified. Father, we pray that you'll keep us from any legalism, thinking that we can add something to the work of Christ, even good things. Lord, 
Protect us from false teachers that could creep in unnoticed. May we contend earnestly for the truth once delivered. Father, thank you for the Apostle Paul and how he stood firm and even admonished and rebuked Peter and Barnabas and those that came from James. Lord God, purify us, correct us, and lead us in the everlasting way. Thank you for your kindness and your mercy. Be with us as we continue to fellowship and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.